0: Acts 11.26 tells us that the early disciples of Christ were called Christians first in Antioch. And this was based upon the well-known statement by Jesus. I'm sorry, based upon the well-known statement by Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the first century Christians were referred to as being in the way. So the first century disciples were often referred to as people of the way. And I want to talk to us tonight, not necessarily about being people of the way, but rather about being people on the way. When I consider the state of the church, especially as it relates to young people, I find that we live in a time where many are finding themselves right with passion for truth and justice, a passion that they themselves cannot explain or know its origin. This passion does not meet with any standard by which they have been socialized or indoctrinated yet they seek to find a way that would lead to clarity and to meaning. And while they might not necessarily frame it this way, I would say that they seek to be a part of the building up of the kingdom of God here on earth. When I consider from where Richmond Hill has come since the retirement of our founding pastoral director, I see us as continuing on the way to the new thing ahead of us. We too seek to find clarity and meaning with the hope of being part of the building up of God's kingdom here on earth. When I consider the text, I see that this section of the gospel marks the end of Jesus' Galilean ministry and the beginning of his journey to Jerusalem. Verse 27 reads, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? The phrase on the way got my attention. It relates to a transition period for Jesus, his disciples, and those in the regions in which they ministered. Jesus and his disciples are moving away from the familial territory around Galilee, where they carried out much of their ministry, where where Jesus gathered his disciples, healed the sick, fed the hungry, taught the people about the kingdom of heaven, and gave them a sense of peace and hope for their lives. Now Jesus and his disciples are on the way. And from a geographical perspective, in Caesarea Philippi, they would have been able to view back down into the region around Galilee, at the same time holding the understanding that Jerusalem is ahead. Metaphorically speaking, Caesarea Philippi marks a period of reflection, a time of learning, a time to gather strength and understanding, and a time to move on. Transition required that we recognize that we could very well be moving away from what we know, from what we feel comfortable with, and into the unknown. It may very well be the time to reflect on the past, draw strength from it, and consider how the past might inform the present as well as the future. A time of transition is not just about where you've been or what lies ahead. It is also about what's happening right now. For us, as Christ followers, the right now may very well be a time to seriously come to terms with who Jesus, the Christ, really is for us. And what it means to be Christ's disciple. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? This text helps us to see that in calling his followers to go with him even further, Jesus calls his disciples to examine their perspective on things. What does it mean to be on the way with Jesus? What does it mean to be together with Jesus? as an organization, as a religious community, we who are part of Richmond Hill are indeed a people on the way. We who are seeking to follow Jesus in any way are people on the way. We are certainly in the midst of our own transition. Here at Richmond Hill, we continue to reflect on our 30 years plus of ministry while seeking to move on to where Christ is leading us. Whether an individual or an organization, as followers of Christ, the journey on the way can be difficult. We can become impatient, we can become indifferent, but thanks be to God, we serve a God who is aware of the difficulties we all have when faced with change. As we consider the text, we find that Jesus, helping his disciples, is preparing them to move on to new experiences. It appears that the disciples don't really understand what's before them. Nonetheless, Jesus is there with them, helping them where they have need. And if while we are on our way, we are going to stay true to the call of discipleship, as an individual, as an organization, or even as a community, there are several inherent needs alluded to in this text, and there are also several sayings related to those needs that may help us stay connected to the Christ who is leading us. First, there's the need to be clear about who it is we're following and to help clarify that for us we need only to hear again the question that jesus posed to his disciples who do you say that i am there are times when we have to know that we know the disciples had already told jesus what everybody else was saying about him john the baptist elijah and still others some saying the prophets But when looking for clarity, the answer is not likely to be found in what everybody on the street is saying. You won't likely get a single or clear answer. There are places and points in our journey where a definite or definitive sense of clarity can only come or only be realized and articulated through answers to tough questions. Who do you say that I am? Peter speaks the truth by the Spirit. You are the Messiah. And there's no ambiguity in that answer. If there's any ambiguity at all, it rests in Peter, not the answer. And I'm not going to attempt to tell you who Jesus is or who Jesus should be for you tonight. It is an answer that you must seek for yourself. One clue, however, that we can glean from this text is that the Jesus Christ we serve is not one who seeks to meet the expectations of this world. The Jesus Christ that we serve does not seek to satisfy the aspiration of our cultural uh, endeavors. Rather, he is one who leads us into places where we can make a difference in the world. You are the Messiah, the Christ. There is truth in that, and there is clarity. And I personally contend that the rock upon which the true church is built is truth with clarity a truth and clarity that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And just in case you're not already aware, with that truth and clarity comes a call to a deeper commitment and responsibility. The second need that I believe is inherent in this text is the need to know that we can easily put our humanly concerns ahead of our godly concerns. And the phrase that helps us to stay connected to the one who leads and guides us is what Jesus says to Peter after Peter rebuk- rebukes Jesus. Get behind me Satan. The word Satan means to tempt a human to sin, to tempt a human to move contrary to the will of God. It, is all, it also means to become a stumbling block. So Jesus offers a counter rebuke to Peter and reiterates what he has to say. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. Jesus had to let Peter know, and subsequently let us know as well, that there can be times when our human passions will get in the way of our God-given passions. There are times when our human passion can make us to be a hindrance to others who are seeking to live into their own God-given passion. Our human passions can open the door for the enemy to get in. And as Bob Heatherton often say, don't underestimate the forces of darkness. In other words, our personal agendas, our personal preferences, or our human desires can very easily get in our way. I would venture to say that most of us, if not all of us, know that when moving forward in life, whether it be spiritually or physically nothing or no one can be a stumbling block to us unless they are out front of us and peter's rebuke was an indication that he had placed himself out front of jesus maybe not in a physical sense but in his line of thinking he has set his mind on earthly things human things, things that would appease the world in which he lived and the very world in which Jesus had come to save. This rebuke serves as a caution to us not to put ourselves out front of Christ, but to stay in line with what God is doing in us as an organization as well as individuals. You know we can so easily get distracted and can so easily misrepresent god when our minds are on earthly things it is god's desire for each and every one of us to keep moving forward to live into the new reality that is ours in christ jesus a reality wherein we can trust god and God's goodness in our lives, not seeking to appease our own self-serving agendas or those of the fastest around us. It is our deeper commitment and responsibility to seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, setting our minds on things above and not on things on the earth. Setting our minds on those things which give life, give life to us all. Letting love be genuine. Hating what is evil. Holding fast to what is good. Loving one another with mutual affection. Rejoicing in hope. Being patient in suffering. Persevering persevering in prayer. Living in harmony with one another. Not being overcome with evil, but overcoming evil with good. The third need that is inherent here in this text is the need to remember that we are a part of a community of believers. And the third phrase that begs our attention and is there to help us stay connected has to do with what Jesus said to the whole group. When he called the crowd and the disciples together, he said, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. When we are in proper alignment with our Lord Jesus Christ, we allow the Spirit of Christ within to take the lead. And there is a point at which we must deny ourselves, where we must take up our cross and follow Christ. And of course, denying yourself doesn't mean considering yourself worthless. It doesn't mean letting other people abuse you or inflict pain upon you, nor does it mean that you are supposed to feel bad and not good. Self-denial is not so much about seeking to make sacrifices, but rather about accepting what flows naturally from a place where we truly and deeply love other people. That place where we trust God will be. That place where God is with us in every situation, no matter what. And the truth is, when we want the best for everyone, we will become willing to live with a little less for ourselves besides god knows our every need and god will supply all of our needs according to god's riches and glory in christ jesus and then there is that cross oh the cross can't live with it can't live without it (laughs) Persecutions, hardships, sufferings, blessed is the one who is persecuted for my name's sake, says the Lord. Just as we don't seek to self-deny, likewise we don't have to seek to find the cross. Like we say about the cowbell when we get called to dinner, to meals, the cross will find you. You see, the cross we are called to bear, to take up, is a consequence that we encounter for following Jesus in a world that operates contrary or counter to the new life that God has reserved for us in Christ Jesus. When the cross shows up, the hardships, the persecutions, the challenges, if you're like me, you really don't want to deal with them, you really don't want to bear them, yet, All that Christ has poured into us compels us to stay the course, to be on the way. For the race is not given to the swift or the strong, but to the one who perseveres to the end. I would venture to say when the cross finds you and you're living in the passion planted by God, you will carry it. Not because you want to, but because it means walking in agreement with the passion within you. Prior to Peter's rebuke, the scripture says that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great sufferings at the hand of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What I hear in this is your God-given passion could take you where you don't want to go. There will be serious challenges, but it is that very passion that will bring you to new life and a brighter day. I am convinced that in the suffering we, can, we endure because we are bearing the cross of Christ is a consequence of the love that Christ calls us to. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Have you ever had a conversation with God where you just say, Lord, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what I'm feeling, but I put it all in your hands. I trust you to lead the way. I don't know about you, but when I'm able to do that, God always comes through. And I get to experience a new Jehovah God, the great I Am. I get to see the truth of the matter, even if it means that I have to recognize the error of my own ways. No matter where our passions or our Lord lead us, let us be ever mindful that we know the end of the story. Thanks be to God. For God, by God's great mercy, has already given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us all. We are on the way. May we continue as people on the way. Amen. Amen.